0: Good morning, Hugh Morker. Is everyone okay? Good. Good. It's good to know. Right, we're back in the book of uh, 1 Peter. We're working through 1 Peter this year, which is a a letter written by the Apostle Peter. We're going through it kind of a few verses at a time. So we're about halfway through chapter one. Uh, If you want to find it in your Bibles, you can. It's right near the back of the Bible, the back of the the end of the New Testament. Um, One of the very last books. Uh, If you don't have a Bible with you, don't worry, you're not in trouble. We won't hunt you down afterwards. Um, The words will appear as if by magic on the screen behind me in a moment. So we're going to read from, here you go, from verses 13-13 to 21 and then I'm going to pray. It says therefore preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance but as he who called you is holy you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you are ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spots. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you. who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Jesus, we pray that you would speak powerfully to our hearts, the very depths of our being. We wanna know you more, that's why we're here. Whether we've been believers for many years or maybe we're not even, we wouldn't even call ourselves Christians at all, but We're here for whatever reason because we recognize that you're at work somehow in our life even if it's just a small seed or something fundamental that's completely changed us. We know that you're a God of power who's at work and uh, our prayer, our request is that we want more of you. We want more of you. We want to know what it is to follow you with all of our hearts, all of our lives. And we pray just as we look at these verses this morning that you'd be at work, Holy Spirit guiding us, leading us, prompting us, convicting us, helping us to know what it is to follow you with all of our hearts, amen, amen. On on Thursday morning, I wore the wrong clothes I don't know if you've had this experience. We've been living here for, this is our fourth year of living here. It's our fourth year where we haven't owned a car. Our fourth year, our fourth winter that we've tried to survive in this city living only on bikes. And uh, if, like me, I'm sure it's true for many people in the city, you don't have a car and you get around by bike, uh, you always need to be prepared for the weather. And on Thursday morning, I was not prepared. I got it completely wrong. Because I did the thing where, where I looked out the window, and it didn't appear to be raining. And then I checked the app on my phone, and the app said, no rain. So therefore, I presumed it wasn't going to rain. Until I started cycling to take the kids to school, and it, it was hailing, wasn't it, Lydia? <laughs> yeah. And this just wasn't a kind of a, a, a dusty sprinkle, but it was... It was a lot. And my only protection was, was, a, was a hat. Obviously, I had other clothes on. I wasn't just wearing a hat. But a, a hat, which uh, my daughter had forgotten her hat, so I kindly gave her mine. And then the hail was just kind of bouncing off my head which isn't a fun experience. And you have those moments all the time where you're just not quite prepared for the weather. And to be honest, you can buy the best raincoats money can buy, but somehow the wind in this city just makes the water get through into every crevice and crack. It doesn't matter what you do, somehow or other, you get wet. Is that right? That's what it's like, isn't it? You need to be prepared for the weather. And in this passage that we're looking at, Peter has the same concern for us. He wants us to be prepared for the storms of life, prepared for all the different climate and weather that comes at us, all the challenges in the world around us. Uh, and so far in this letter, up till now, he's been unpacking some of the great truths of our salvation, of what it is to be a follower of Jesus. And we've kind of hit a, a turning point now where He's bringing it back into some of the practical realities of what does this look like? And that's what we are going through over the next couple of weeks. What does it look like to be a believer of Jesus? What does it look like to follow him? What does it look like to live a life for him? Uh, Some application, you could call it. And the thing is, this this pursuit of God that we're going to look at today, this pursuit of holiness... Which holiness, I guess the best way to describe it is to imitate Jesus, so it is to live a holy life, to, to live as Jesus lived. But the, the world that we live in, the city around us, the challenges of life stand in opposition to this. It makes it hard for us to live the life that we want to live, because there's so many challenges and temptations and struggles around us. and. Whereas we might want to put God as the God of our lives and seek to worship him in as obedient children, as this passage says, the world around us does the opposite. What happens in our society is that we, we kind of de-God God. We take him off of the throne and we put ourselves there. We remove any deity from God and we try and deify ourselves. People around us want to try and live like gods. It might sound a bit, a bit strange to you, but if you think of it this way, the, the kind of the contemporary narrative, the story of the world around us, what we get told all the time is that each of us is filled with great potential, that there's something powerful within us. There's this kind of divine spark within each of us and we, all we need to do is search inside ourselves to somehow unlock this kind of inner power, this beauty within us. We need to somehow unlock it and release it. And we want to release this kind of star within. We want to build the, round, the world around ourselves and basically say, I'm the most important thing. The most important thing is that I fulfill my dreams and desires, that I'm satisfied that I get the most out of life, that I achieve everything that I want to achieve. We basically become our own gods. And this, this man, you can see this all the time in the, in the way that we view truth. W- w- what is true? Because more and more, what is true is only what is true personally for each of us. So you'll see this worked out in how people think about gender, and how people think about male and female, that whereas previously, or for many people in this room, hopefully, what we would believe is that there's male and there's female, that that's something genetic that God has made, that we are made as males or females. But increasingly around us, it's you, it, you are male or female depending on how you define yourself. So it doesn't matter what your body says, what your genetics are, if you decide I want to be a female, you can be a female. You can, you can just switch it all over. Because what's true is only what's true for you. There's no sense of any ultimate value, ultimate truth. And that's because basically we're our own gods. So no one else gets to tell me who I am or what I should do. If I'm my own god, I get to decide. I get to make those decisions for myself. We see this worked out in how people view... Authority, you find it even within communities like this, within the church. More and more I find that people don't want a pastor anymore or a reverend or a leader or a small group leader. They don't really want leaders. What they want is uh, like a spiritual guide or a kind of a self-help guru, someone who can just steer them on, guide them along, a kind of a life coach, just a counsellor. Those things aren't bad, but in the way that people distinguish those things, we're saying, well, actually, I I don't want anybody that tells me what to do. I make my own decisions. I don't need anyone in authority over me. The only authority is me, because essentially I'm my own God. And this God over here, this Jesus guy, he's, he's good. He can exist, but only if he's on the same level as me, or actually a little bit below me as long as he conforms to what I believe and what I think. And that's what we can get tricked into thinking. And through this process, we, what happens is we de-God God. We just kind of belittle God. We make him this kind of small thing in the corner of our life. Or we obliterate him altogether and just pretend he doesn't exist. And we no longer believe in a perfect, all-powerful God Who's descended to earth to give us this beautiful gift of salvation? Rather, this is reversed. Rather than God descending to earth to give us this gift of salvation, we spend all our life trying to ascend up, trying to somehow achieve the heights of greatness, to somehow to achieve our own godlike status. To fulfill all our potential. And basically the song, the story we tell all the time is all hail me. That's how we live. We take God off the throne and we put ourselves there instead. And this isn't just a critique, a criticism of the world around us. But we can get drawn into living like this as well. This is a warning for us as believers. We can fall into this trap. And so then you'll notice it because you'll read verses like we've just read. Be holy as I am holy. Or even conduct yourselves with fear. And those verses might offend you a little bit. If you're honest. Those verses might kind of think, "Oh, I'm not sure I'm quite comfortable with that idea that I should... Fear God, or that somehow God is even holy. You know, the concept of God being holy is more and more Christians don't really like that. We're comfortable with talking about God as our Father, aren't we? And He is our Father. We should think of Him like that. We're comfortable with thinking of a God that we can come and talk to as we would a friend. And you can do that. You can come and talk to God as though He's your friend. And have an open conversation with God. You can know him as your intimate father. But the idea that there's an all-powerful, mighty God of wonder in heaven. A holy God. Somehow we've struggled to relate to that. Somehow we'd rather just forget about that part of God's character. Focus on the bits that feel a bit more warm and comfortable to us. And the idea that there's a God of holiness who's set apart from sin, who's perfect and powerful and mighty. We forget that so easily. But we mustn't rob God of his holiness because it's really important. We'll explain that a little bit more later. This is a a warning to your hearts. Don't rob God of his holiness. Don't take him off the throne and put yourself there instead. There's a story in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 5 of a couple called Ananias and Sapphira. I don't have time to tell the whole story, but basically what happens is, this is in the very early stages of the church in the book of Acts. The first church that was started in Jerusalem following Jesus' death and resurrection. There's a moment where they, they come to the other believers' And they, they withhold something. Rather than giving everything they had, they lie. And they say, we're giving everything, but they were withholding something. At first, Ananias comes in and he lies to the believers. And God strikes him down, dead. And then Sapphira comes in. And the same thing happens. She lies and she withholds. And God strikes her down. And it's scary. If you read that, it's scary. You think, what is going on? And it was scary for those who were there. The, the, this passage finishes and it says, great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. And the guy that was leading this church that was right at the center of this story is Peter who writes this letter. So when Peter talks about the holiness of God and fear in God, we need to pay attention. Because if anybody in the Bible that knew what it is to know God's holiness and power and might, it was Peter. He understood this. And this idea of holiness might be, might seem a bit bizarre to you. Maybe if you're here and you're not a believer in Jesus, you might think, what is holiness anyway? Or if you're a Christian, you might think, oh, well, holiness is... Is, uh, what, what's the point of that? What's the point of trying to live this perfect life? It might seem a bit weird to you. And this, to just explain a little bit more about what holiness is, there's a quote by a man, a writer, who lived about 100 years ago called J.C. Ryle, and he said this, holiness is the habit of being one mind, Here is with God. Um, no, go back to the last slide. I'll come on to that one in a minute. Holiness is the habit of being of one mind with God, hating what He hates and loving what He loves, and measuring everything in the world by the standard of His word. If you move on to the next slide, back on again. This is it. See, this is what we do. We say, Holiness is the habit of being of one mind with the world around me, hating what the media tells me to hate, loving what my friends tell me to love, and measuring everything in this world by the zeitgeist, or that means by the popular opinion, what people tell me to think. What I'm saying is all the time around us, people are trying to be holy. They are, but not by trying to conform themselves to what God is like, but just desperately trying to fit in, desperately trying to, trying to uh, uh, conform themselves to mold themselves to what everyone else seems to say, of what social media says I should hate. Oh, this thing's happening. I need, to, I need to be horrified about this thing. Or this thing's really cool. I need to be in love with this thing. And all the time we're shaping our life by what the world tells us to think. And we're, we're trying to make ourselves, in a sense, holy to the world standards. We're trying to conform to the world around us. We're trying to fit in. We're trying to set ourselves, build our life around the standard of the world around us. And what happens is is it says in this passage, we've given in to the passions of our former ignorance. We've become conformed to the world around us. The King James Version of the Bible takes that word conformed and it says fashioning yourself. As in, we're just adopting the latest fashions of our times. This is trendy right now, so I'll think that. This is what everyone else seems to think, so therefore I should think that as well. And there's no real standard other than the progressive, moving on nature of what people think, which we're led to believe is that little by little, society is just getting better and better. The people all the time, is we're we're coming more and more conformed to this idea of perfection. Whereas actually the reality is it's not. The world isn't getting better and better. If you read the news, you know that's not true. There's no standard that dictates what we should think. It's just that person thinks that, that person thinks that. And all the time we're lost in this haze, this confusion of, well, what do I believe? What should I care about? There's no standard that's holding us to anything. And we spend all of our time trying to display that. We use social media and we become basically our own PR managers, trying to portray ourselves, trying to portray this perfect life I lead, this perfect sandwich that I ate this morning that I'm gonna put on Instagram. It's true, we do that. We're trying to create a, a kind of a picture, a window into our life that shows the good things. And we don't post stories and images of all the bad stuff that happens. And I'm glad we don't, because that would be terrifying, right? <laughs> it would, if you really show people what was happening in your life. But we don't, because we, we kind of harvest the good bits. We give people like the trailer of the movie. And actually, And then you go and watch the whole two-hour show and you think, well, wasn't that all the best jokes were in the trailer? <laughs> the good stuff gets, is only for two minutes. And we don't show everybody the rest of what's going on. And again, what it comes down to is this idea of "all hail me." We're again, we're just portraying ourselves because we basically just want to be our own gods. We want to be holy to our own standards, not to anybody else's standards. So, how how can we be holy? Not to the world's standards or our own standards, but to God's. What does it mean to conduct ourselves with fear? Isn't that somehow an impossible standard that we can't reach to or attain? Well, Peter gives us three stages to follow right at the start of this passage. He says, first of all, stage one, prepare your minds for action. That's what he says right at the start. Prepare your minds for action. And actually, the, the, the best way to translate that, that verse there would actually to, it says, gird up the loins of your mind, which is a bit of a weird phrase, which is why it's probably not in your Bible. Gird up the loins of your mind. And what that means is at the time, the people would have worn like a, like a tunic. You know, that would have been like your kind of raincoat, but a kind of a tunic thing. And if to gird up would be, it would be if they were going to go and do something active, they needed to run somewhere, or they were doing some, some, some kind of work, you would gird up your tunic, and you basically you would grab it between uh, your legs and pull it up around your loins and then gird it up. So that means you can go and be active. You're preparing yourself. And he's saying here, you need to do that with our mind, to prepare it. If you want to go out and cycle in the rain, Wear the right clothes. Wear the right clothes. And with the world around us, with the storms of popular opinion, we need to prepare our minds that we're able to sift through all the lies of the world around us, or that people say that what I'm doing right now, that preaching is a bad thing. that To, to, to go to church and hear someone preach at you is, is bad. People, people will think that. All the time, you're being preached at. All the time, the world is telling you what to think again and again and again. And if you're not preparing your mind for action, you won't be able to sift through all the lies of the world around you. So we study the Bible. We do this here on a Sunday to prepare our minds so we can understand, so we can sift all the stories of the world and find out what's good and what's frankly nonsense so we need to prepare ourselves then stage two he says being sober-minded which he means to be kind of vigilant to be kind of circumspect to to not be intoxicated not be drunk on the opinions of the world around us to not get drunk on sin and lose ourselves to that, we need to be sober. And let me, just to help you understand that a bit more, let me give you a few ways we do that. First of all, by imitation. He says, as obedient children, do not be conformed. As I said at the start, holiness is essentially the imitation of God. It's living as Jesus lived. It's following his ways, being living as obedient children to how Jesus lived and his pattern of life. And to be obedient to something other than yourself means often you have to disobey yourself, right? Because all the time I'm telling myself how to live, all the time. And most of the time, I'm, I, I don't know what I'm talking about. It's true. It's true of you as well. All the time you're telling yourself what to do, what to think, how to behave... And most of the time you're wrong. And we need to learn how to sometimes to disobey ourselves. This is how Jesus lived. It said in Philippians 2, he humbled himself and became obedient even to death on a cross. Jesus also said, I came not to my own will, but the will of my father who sent me. Jesus knew what it was to disobey the temptations of the world around them. We need to learn what it is to to disobey what we would like to do and what we would like to think. I think, I'm not here for my own will, but the will of the Father. What does God want me to do? How does he want me to live? And that's hard, that's challenging. And one thing I would encourage you to do is It's find some brothers and sisters within this family to help you to do that. Because trying to live like that on your own is going to be hard work. It's going to be a battle. I was with some of my friends last week, some guys in this church. We were talking about the issue of self-control. The Bible talks about it as one of the fruits of the Spirit to live with self-control. We were discussing what that looked like in our life And we're discussing the verse from Proverbs where it says, A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. Particularly in those days, you take the walls away from a city and it's vulnerable. It can be attacked, broken into, ransacked, destroyed. And one of the guys in the room said, He said, "I I don't want my city, he's talking about his heart, I don't want my city to have just walls, I want a moat and a drawbridge, some big weapons, some guards. You know, you want it to be fortified, right? And you can do that by having other brothers and sisters just help you. Does anyone in this church, do any of your friends know your weaknesses? Know where you're prone to stumble? Are able to just stand shoulder to shoulder with you and to help you? It's not so they can judge you, but so they can love you and support you, and encourage you. Share your life with people. It will help. It really will. And as well, we get this wonderful privilege that we can call on him as our father. See, because really, this holiness, if we get it right, it, it flows from our hearts. And the key to help us that happen is to love God. We get to come and call on him as our father. We get to pray and ask for his help, his provision, his support, ask for the Holy Spirit to help you. Also another way here is this idea of fear that I want to talk about for a moment. Because it says, conduct yourself with fear. Even we were singing earlier about how all our fears are washed away which can seem a bit contradictory. I thought that we weren't supposed to fear any, anymore because, we're, because of what Jesus has done. I thought fear was gone now. But yet Peter says here, conduct yourselves with fear. Now what does that mean? What does that mean? See, the Bible, what it does, even in this passage, is it links fear and hope together. So in Psalm 147, it says this, the Lord, takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who hope in his steadfast love. This idea of fear and hope come out together in the Bible. John Piper, who's a Christian theologian and writer, he said, hope turns fear into a trembling and peaceful wonder. Let me just read something else he wrote from a book called the pleasures of God. He's going to paint a picture here. Just let this picture be painted in your mind because this will really help you understand it. He says, suppose you were exploring an unknown glacier in the north of Greenland in the dead of winter. Just as you reach a sheer cliff with a spectacular view of miles and miles of jagged ice and mountains of snow, a terrible storm breaks in. The wind is so strong that the fear rises in your heart that it might blow you over the cliff. But in the midst of the storm, you discover a cleft, like a hole, a cave, in the ice where you can hide. Here, you feel secure. But even though secure and safe, the awesome might of the storm rages on, and you watch it with a kind of trembling pleasure as it surges out across the distant glaciers. At first, there was the fear that this terrible storm and awesome terrain might claim your life, but then you found a refuge and gained hope that you would be safe. But not everything in the feeling called fear vanished from your heart, only the life-threatening part. There remained the trembling, the awe, the wonder, the feeling that you would never want to tangle with such a storm or be the adversary of such a power. And so is with God. God's greatness is greater than the universe of stars. And his power is behind the unendurable cold of Arctic storms. Yet he cups his hand around us and says, take refuge in my love. Let the terrors of my power become the awesome fireworks of your happy night sky. The fear of God is what is left of the storm when you have a safe place to watch right in the middle of it. In that place of refuge, we say, this is amazing. This is terrible. This is incredible power. Oh, the thrill of being here in the center of the awful power of God, yet protected by God himself. And so we get an idea of how we feel both hope and fear at the same time. Hope turns fear into a trembling and peaceful wonder. The fireside fellowship is all the sweeter when the storm is howling outside the cottage. Does that make sense? This idea we can, we, this fear thing isn't a, a pressing, horrible thing but we're just aware of the awesome might of God and who he is. And we think, I just want to live for him. I don't want to just live this stumbling life of mistake after mistake. I want my heart to be set to live for something greater, to serve this mighty, powerful God. So Peter gives us this third stage. Prepare your minds for action Be sober-minded. Set your hope fully. It goes on to say, Knowing that you were ransomed. See, the Bible teaches that through what Jesus has done, we've been ransomed. That means we've been brought at a price. We've been brought for freedom. It was for freedom that Christ has set us free. Peter goes on to say later in this letter, In chapter two, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover for evil, but living as servants of God. See, sin is no longer the oppressive tyrant that you serve. It's now more of a a nuisance. Because I'm not saying you just become a Christian and then you don't sin anymore we can all tell a story of how that's not true, even from this week maybe even from today it's not that we become a Christian and all our problems disappear but now we have the power of God in us, the Bible says we can resist the devil and he'll flee that we're no longer lost in this oppression, we're no longer lost to the kingdom of darkness but God's moved us into the kingdom of light. We have this incredible freedom now because of what God's done for us. And what Peter's giving us here is, it's like a military exhortation. He's saying, remember who you are. You've been ransomed. You've been brought with a price. You've been called into his family now. See, this idea of holiness It's not a feeling. Because sometimes you might feel particularly holy and you feel like you've really nailed something. You've had a great week. And other times you can feel totally unworthy and depraved and horrible. But don't listen to those feelings. Listen instead to what's true. God's rescued you. He's added you into the kingdom of light. Because this idea of Living a holy life, it's not about kind of white-knuckle obedience. Just, I'm going to clench my fists. I'm just going to push through. I'm just going to resist. And I'm going to keep resisting, and I'm going to try really hard. That's not what it is to be a Christian. If you try that, you won't get very far. Rather, we're living in the good of what God has already done. We're bringing our life just into order of what God's already done for us. Because change, your change, is frustratingly slow, I would imagine. Because I know that's true of my life. There are moments suddenly where God does something and something just suddenly changes. But if I look back over the course of my life, it's not just suddenly great leaps of change, but it's, it's little by little sometimes the change is so indiscernible that you can't discern it (laughs) that you look back and you think i'm just the same but really if you really step back and take a look at what god's been doing in your life you'll be amazed at how he's been at work how by little by little he's changing you and you think most of the time in fact all of the time it's not really that you've done anything but god's been working through you because We can spend all our time kind of reaching and yearning but it's not to belong to Christ because we already belong to him. We've been brought with a price. We've been ransomed. We want to be transformed into his likeness but our status is already in him because as it goes on to say this precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. As I said at the start, we don't want to rob God of his holiness because it's in his holiness that he's saved us. That only someone who was perfect as Jesus was, who lived this perfect life, could die for us and forgive us. This lamb without blemish or spot who died for us to set you free, to cleanse you from your sin. It says in Hebrews 10 for by one offering which means Jesus he's perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. The question of how to be holy how to be perfect the answer is that you are perfect already because God's done that work in your life. And now we're just trying to catch our behavior up with what God's already done. And we can feel unworthy and frustrated and we don't want to come to church because we don't want to look anyone in the eye. We don't want anyone to know what we're really like. But what you need to know is what you're really like. That God's rescued you. He's, he's transferred you from darkness to light. That God looks upon you and he sees the righteousness of of Jesus in you. He sees you as perfect, as washed, whiter than snow. Forgiven, free. And when we, when we really know that, when we really know who we are, that's when our behaviour begins to change because we're just trying to catch our life up with what's really true about us, what God's really done. Let's pray and then we're going to respond and sing some more songs of worship together. Why don't you just stand to your feet if you're comfortable to do that. You can stay seated if you prefer. Let me pray. God, we we just want to confess before you that there are times when we don't really want you to be God, that we'd rather, we were the gods of our lives, where we try and be in control, where we try and dictate what's good and bad, what's right and wrong, where we try and set our own plans and agendas, when we try and engineer situations to make them good for us, where we even deceive our friends and family when we sometimes even push them around to fulfill what we want. We just want to say, we don't want to live like that. We want to live lives that are as obedient children, as saying, Father, not my will, but yours be done. We want to live lives of holiness and worship, not because we have to, but because we just want to catch our lives up of what's really true about us. We thank you that each of us can stand here, those who are believers in you, and know that we're forgiven. We're forgiven. We're set free. And we just want to come to you now and worship and just respond. We just want our hearts to sing our thankfulness back to you. For God, I'm free, what a wonder, what a joy to know your forgiveness, to know your grace, despite all my ongoing failings and mistakes and mess-ups. I've been set free. I know the love of God. I can come to you as my Father. But At the same time, we don't want to forget your might and wonder and holiness and power. And We want to come to you and conduct ourselves with fear and say, have your way in my life, Jesus. I submit it all to you. Thank you, God. Amen.